Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Neil Schulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. My co-host Dustin Smith is with us today. You can follow him on Twitter at IAKOW Dustin. Chris Yanes, other co-host, also with us today. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Crispitz. And we have a lot to talk about as Gator football gears up for its SEC finale. Also a pretty puzzling, although maybe not so puzzling when you look deeper into the numbers, but certainly on the surface, a, a frustrating and irritating loss for Gator basketball to Florida Atlantic to talk about today. But before we get into all that, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. As always, we're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged or deserving Gator fan to the swamp. Gator Good Foundation will collect donations from fans and use them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. If you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, because it is never too early to think ahead, we've got the schedule laid out there. We're already starting to look at games we might take someone to. You believe someone you know or yourself is worthy of the honor for next year, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Donations, of course, are always very much appreciated. So to donate to our cause and help us bring next year's winner to the swamp, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the Donate button. Second, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one, it's a veteran-owned business, especially around this time of year. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and big-time Gator fan. And three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from in all kinds of weather because they did our new logo. They did our new website. They did the Gator Good Foundation website. They did the new Gator Collective website. They did the new Gator Collective logo. They do the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club. And they've still got some other Gator-related projects coming up on the horizon. So if you're listening to this podcast and you need help in any of the aforementioned areas, Rest assured that Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To learn about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And with that taken care of, Chris and Dustin, uh, both with me tonight. Guys, before we talk football, we got a something of a, I guess, a, a seismic result in the basketball floor, just a result that's not supposed to happen. Florida losing a home game to Florida Atlantic. Definitely not something a lot of people were expecting. The Owls are a good shooting team. They they are a scrappy team. Dusty May, their head coach, a former Florida assistant under the man we refer to as mid-major Mike, but certainly a scrappy and feisty program. And they took it to Florida and they came away with a win. So I, I guess the, the question has to be, how concerning is this slash how concerning should it be? I don't, I'm not too concerned. We are only... Now three games in to the Todd Golden era, and uh, you know he he put up two solid performances in his first two games. And it, Neil, as you mentioned, FAU is a solid shooting team. They shot fifty four percent from downtown on twenty four three point attempts. So th- th- that's a really good night. And we still only lost the game by two points. Um, so I'm not I'm not entirely concerned with with the loss. It's di- obviously disappointing. It's not ideal. This is not the first loss you would hope to take. Um, this early in the season, but there's a lot of promising things. If you really break down the film and watch the game, um, I think that there's a lot of positives to take away um, from this. And even still, Florida did a solid job shooting the ball from three-point land. They were 47% from three, which is definitely a lot better than the Mike White era. So the shooting, it seems to be improving. We're also have thus far been a very good free throw shooting team. Um, 82% last night and similar results through the first three games. So, and that was another area where Florida had struggled mightily under the Mike White era and even going back to the Billy Donovan era in the free throw shooting game. So positive things. And I think he also coached that team back into it when we were down by double digits with under five minutes to go. So 
I, I think that, you know, moving forward, Mike White or uh, Todd Golden is going to do a great job with this program. And we just need to kind of be a little bit patient, as we talked about with Billy Napier. We need to be patient in the first year with Todd Golden. Well, I mean, the two counters to that, and I happen to agree with you on pretty much everything you said, but two, I, I think, fair counters here are well number one you shouldn't be down by 12 or by 14 to florida atlantic ever period it's one thing to lose a game because of a fluke it's another thing to be losing by 14 points on your home floor to them and the other counter to that is florida is still supremely more talented than fau is so them shooting 54% is one thing, but Florida's offense going dead for, I think it was four minutes or so late in the second half of a close game, you would have liked to have seen Golden manufacture something with some nice set plays or something um, a, little, a little creative where you know his guys are stagnant. Colin Castleton with another huge night. Uh, Kyle Lawson hitting some big threes here and there, but Florida's offense just like a switch just, flicked off just shut off dead done zero out of them you would have liked to have seen you know if, if, with, with golden being an analytics guy with golden being the creative guy he is manufactured drawn something up there to get florida to put the ball in the basket when it, they just couldn't buy a bucket so again i agree with you it's not a huge deal it's irritating i really wish that result hadn't happened but you know, it is an early season loss. I mean, we can talk about how Billy Donovan's team lost to Jacksonville and Richmond and South Alabama and then turned around and won the SEC uh, the next year. So it's not a sign of anything um, too telling, I don't think. Although, Dustin, you've you've been quiet. We need, we need your thoughts on this so we can get a clean sweep. What do you think of the loss? Yeah, it's disappointing, but losses like this are to be expected. I mean, FAU has a pretty solid team. And I happen to think that they're going to be a dark horse for getting into the tournament. You know, they're probably going to be a seed between 11 and 16 on the higher end. But I, I do think this is a tournament team. And we see we saw that in the game. And I think I think Golden does have a task ahead of him to get this team to play together. Um, I, I would have liked to see the team play uni more unified. I thought Castleton played great. Um, there are some other other players that, that 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 stepped up at moments, but basketball is not always a game of moments. It's a game that you have to be consistent. You have to play consistent on both sides of the ball. You can't just be uh, making dunks. You got to play defense, and you got to make stops. And unfortunately, uh, we didn't make the stops that we needed to win the game. And FAU was the better team in this particular matchup and hats off to them. I hope we get better and we get a big time matchup um, against FSU. And hopefully we can pull out, pull out the dub in that game. Yeah. Well, so you, you know? mentioned that game and it, this is where we got to point out. Yes. Florida has problems. I, I would not even say that this is a good Florida team right now. It, it's just not FSU for whatever problems Florida has. FSU's problems are quantifiably worse. They're 0-3. They've lost to Stetson. They've lost to Central Florida. And they've lost to Troy. They're they're they've they're winless against three uh, two certain cupcake teams. One team that's not quite a cupcake, but certainly of a lesser caliber than they are, at least you know, prestige-wise um and, and program-wise. And yet FSU has a lot of injuries. They have a, a situation. I mean, we don't have time to get into it tonight, but at the NCAA doing what it does really screwed it up and, and dropped the ball on this and just talk, talking fairness and not letting someone who probably should be allowed to play at this point, you know, or not letting him play. So, I mean, Florida should bounce back. I think that they'll play better um, on Friday night. Florida did move the ball well, I think, at times on Monday night against FAU, which was something I liked, but... I don't think that they did quite enough of it at, at points late in the game. So hopefully we can improve on that. Uh, and I don't think FSU will shoot that well. So I think that will, as Chris said, 54% from the from three-point land for FAU. So, I mean, unless FSU is going to do that, I think a lot of the problems we saw for Florida kind of take care of themselves. One more point I wanted to bring up to you about the importance of this game is that Mike White was 1-6 against Florida State. Regardless of how bad this Florida State team is, it's important that 
that Todd Golden set the tone for his tenure against an arch rival. So no matter how wounded Florida State is or what they look like, we need to win this game so he can set the tone in his tenure of how it's going to be against one of our arch rivals that uh, the pre- his predecessor did horribly against. So it, we definitely he needs to get this win, um, and so we can move forward because after that is actually a pretty big game against Xavier, who is a very good team, who is a tournament team, and is going to make some noise this year in their conference. So very important that Florida recovers though and gets moving. Um, for continued development. So my last thought on that, I just wanted to point that out. No, 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 you're good. It's a good point to make. I mean, Mike White is the reason why those fans have been jabbering about basketball for the last seven years against us. I mean, they've, you know, they've had a good program too. I don't want to take it away from them that, that they've been typically in the three, four, five, six ish six ish seed range in the NCAA tournament. And one game in November or December doesn't really have anything to do with that. Um, which you could also, you know, take that sentence and apply it to Florida's frustration for losing to FAU. But FSU fans have been talking a lot of smack towards Florida fans in basketball because of Mike White's tenure. I mean, they never had that type of bragging right. The the all time series right now is is even respectable because of Mike White's tenure. Billy Donovan dominated them. Norm Sloan dominated them. Lon Kruger dominated them. Mike White got dominated by them. But, yeah, we'll we'll have something to talk about with that Um, on next week's pod for sure. We will definitely block out some time on our post-Vandy podcast to talk about that basketball game. But, Dustin, you weren't able to be with us for that post-South Carolina pod earlier this week, which is really just Chris and I celebrating for an hour. Um, But, yeah, so what reactions, what takes, what analysis, et cetera, do you have? Because I know you watch the game afterwards so what did you have to take away from that game and what are your thoughts yeah Neil and Chris I got three points to make first off the uh the Watson massive play the the fumble recovery and it's disappointing they almost fumbled the ball back but he was certainly down so that that was null and void but I thought I thought our defense all around had an excellent game I mean to to hold South Carolina nearly scoreless, and that's a huge deal. Offense, though, I thought that we played great, especially on the ground. Anthony Richardson continues to have less than ideal uh, days throwing the ball in the swamp. For whatever reason, he's significantly better at throwing the ball on the road than he is in the swamp. and That was something that I really wanted to see. I felt that South Carolina had weaknesses um, in their secondary. And I thought that we could take advantage of that. Now, of course, we also took advantage of weaknesses they had on the defensive line. But I really wanted to see Anthony Richardson throw the ball. Now, one plus when it comes to Richardson is though he did not throw the ball for the stats that that I'd like to see him throw for in terms of yardage, he didn't throw any picks. If I'm not mistaken, I believe this is the fourth straight game where he hasn't thrown an interception. And that is a big deal considering how turnover prone he was earlier in the season. And my final point is going to be this. Napier, I think that he's finally turned the corner. There's certainly things schematically that I want to see him do differently, but I really believe it speaks to his culture that – Coming out of that Georgia game, a team that got pretty much obliterated. I mean, we we made it interesting, but we <laughs> that Georgia game wasn't close. And for him to take that team and then turn around that disappointment to back-to-back victories, not just victories, but major victories. We didn't just beat Texas A&M. We destroyed them especially in the second half. We didn't just beat South Carolina. We destroyed them. And that's big, and that's huge for this program. And I could not be more excited. This Vanderbilt game is going to be incredibly interesting because it sets itself up as a potential trap game. And I know we'll talk about it later in the pod, but we have to win this game. It is a must win. It is a game we should win, but I'll add to it. It's a game we have to win. Yeah, so 
Um, good takes, Dustin. Pretty much agree with all of that. Desmond Watson is going to be my best friend forever because of that that stiff arm he gave to Spencer Rattler, as as we talked about on the post game pod uh, earlier this week. Spencer Rattler is probably my least favorite college football player of all time. I mean, it's it's either him or Brock Berlin. And look, I don't I don't hate a lot of college football players. I don't hate college kids, period. They're, they're kids. They're just doing what they love to do most, and they're playing their favorite sport with their school colors on their chest. I don't I don't hate kids who do that. You know, go chase your dreams by all means. But just everything he does, so arrogant, so brash, like he is the best to ever do it. And of course, the results don't back that up, but he continues to act that way. That Cotton Bowl game, it's its not even just the gator chomp. It's the gator chomp and the leg kick he does after, and the fact that he goes out of his way to just jabber at Florida players who have nothing to do with the play. And when he had nothing to do with the play, after... There, there was a big run by Ramondre Stevenson, and he runs over to Florida players and starts chirping in their face. Like, dude, you handed the ball off. You had nothing to do with that. Shut up and go back to your bench. But no, I I, I really do. I I hate him. I do hate him. I I just I can't stand him. I, I do not wish him any success. And I would nothing would make me happier than to see him completely flame out of college football and football together and wind up working at, at Alamo rental cars. So my my hatred for him went all the way. Did anybody ever watch the Netflix show QB one? Yeah, my my disdain for him actually goes all the way back to that show. Like when I watched that show, he was just just awful to watch and listen to. Like everything you can imagine that you the person you dislike so much in high school, that was all of it in just one human being. So the fact that now we've played him twice in college is kind of full circle and Seeing him fail epically in the swamp on Saturday just made it so much better. And we might play him uh, again. He'll be back next year. That's yeah. He's definitely not going to the NFL. But, the question is, does he start or does someone else take a spot? Yeah, yeah, good point. But, but yeah, that was that was fun. It was a fun day, fun time. But as much as I detest South Carolina and their fans and a lot of their players, Jaheim Bell looking at you, chomp chomp right back in your face. Florida has lost two pass catchers to the transfer portal since our last podcast in Trent Whittemore and Nick Elksness. Not guys who had huge roles on this team, but definitely had some expectations coming into the season. And uh, they're not they're not Florida Gators anymore. So, guys, what do we think of the losses of Elksness and Whittemore? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Trent Whittemore, I'll start with him. What can you say? Just a great person. Uh, when I lived in Gainesville, went to school at UF, I actually refereed his basketball games when he played basketball and just a complete athlete, stellar kid, real respectful. And when he came to the University of Florida, it was just a great program guy, you know, great guy to build a program around. But fortunately, when new coaching staffs come in, that does mean that good people probably end up inevitably leaving your program, especially in this new transfer portal era. So this is to be expected and there's going to be a lot more on the way. Uh, but, you know, not to worry, this is part of the process part of the journey with the program right now. Um, both guys are going to find great homes wherever they end up, and we wish them the best of luck. Best thing about Trent Watermore, he did, you know, being that he grew up a Gator, grew up in Gainesville, this is his fourth year in the program, and he is actually going to grant graduate with a degree from the University of Florida. And, uh, you know, once a Gator, always a Gator. Uh, to both these guys, but especially a guy like Trent Watermore, who uh, no doubt grew up as a Gator fan in Gainesville, and I think we'll still have – fond memories and strong bonds to the program. So we wish them, I wish them the best of luck. Chris, I echo a thousand percent what you said, but Trent Whittemore, he's a Gator. I mean, you and I can speak for the experience that it means to graduate as a, as a Florida Gator. And I'll just go to say that Neil is an honorary graduate in a wonderful uh, degree in Gator sports trivia uh, bachelor's degree, pretty awesome, Neil. Um, anyhow, with with Trent, he he did make some incredible plays. Um, I like him back to that uh that big time uh catch fade he had in the end zone. Um, I believe it was last year, uh, sort of a bright spot in a, in an otherwise disappointing season. As far as Elton is, he's a guy that I really wanted to see play. I really wanted to see him have more opportunities. 
But unfortunate for him, there's just a lot of adversity. And sometimes when you go through that kind of adversity, sometimes it's better to just have a change of scenery. And for both players, uh, of course, I wish them all the best. Um, and I, I, I hope and pray that, that they have an excellent career, uh, whatever that looks like, wherever they go. And, you know, as, as part of what it means to be uh, Gator made, uh, whether it's football or not football, um, whatever they do, I hope they're successful, uh, especially for Trent getting that degree. It really is a big deal. It's hard to say goodbye to guys that, you know, Florida has gone after on the recruiting trail, told, you know, we want you, told the parents, you know, we want your son. Guys that have put in the blood, sweat, and tears for the Florida Gators that everyone else does, especially when it's a Gainesville kid like Whittemore. We kind of could call this one because of the way that his brother Creed decommitted and almost immediately wound up committing to Mississippi State. So I think he saw the way that his brother wasn't being used a ton in Napier's offense and said, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be used anymore. So probably better if, if I go elsewhere. So I think that one we kind of seen coming. And as for the tight end, um, Elkness, that one, that one hurt a little bit more being a Jacksonville kid who I think Florida put a good amount of work in to flip from Penn state back during his recruiting process. That was considered a big win for Florida. But again, I mean, he just wasn't, he wasn't seeing the field and, I mean, it's hard to be too surprised when someone who's not getting a lot of playing time wants to go somewhere else. You can't ever really blame them because that's why you play football. You don't play football to be on the bench. You play football to play. And if you're not going to play, then you got to go somewhere else. So nothing but the best wishes for both of them. They put in their blood, sweat, and tears like everyone else, as I just said. And, you know, here's hoping that both of y'all find success um, at other big-time schools. So. And the other thing, too, I'll quickly add on the tight end room is that it, this isn't a transfer that is going to be a detriment to the depth chart. You know, Keon Zipper unfortunately had an ACL injury this year. He'll be back next year in all likelihood. Jonathan Odom, who got his first touchdown catch this past year, he'll also be likely back next year. You have freshmen Arlos Boardingham and Hayden Hansen, as well as great shirt Tony Livingston. So we still got five tight ends in that room. Uh, that are going to be coming back in all likelihood. I know right now we're not slated to take a, a high school recruit. Maybe we'll go portal, but that's still a pretty strong room as far as depth uh, goes. And I'm not sure if the the current guy who's starting at tight end, um, name is me right now. At the moment, but Xander, sorry, Dante Xander. I mean, I guess that'd be six. I, I'm not sure if he has another year of eligibility, um, if he would come back with the COVID year, because I know he registered and we have the COVID year. So there, I think we're not going to be sure for options these transfers no of course not i mean that's and that's the thing about florida as it as it is when we're talking to high school kids to kids that come through the transfer portal the university of florida is going to have some sex appeal for lack of a better way to put it florida is a big time program there's prestige that gator head logo does hold weight and it just means a lot for people to be able to say yeah i'm played for the university of florida i played for the gators i played in that orange and blue. So I think Florida will have luck and Florida will find pieces through the portal. Uh, and, and they're going to need to, because that's what's needed for this program for another year or two, as Napier continues to get his guys in the program. So enough about the future, enough about the past. Let's talk about the present and the Gators upcoming game against the Vanderbilt Commodores. This is a game that when the schedule comes out, Florida Gator fans typically look at and say, oh, there it is. There's Vanderbilt. There's a cupcake for us. Florida has beaten Vanderbilt eight times in a row. They, before losing in 2013, had beaten them the 22 times in a row before that. So Florida now having won 30 of the last 31. It's understandable to think of them that way. However, Vanderbilt did just knock off a ranked team. They beat Kentucky on the road, the Kentucky team that beat Florida earlier in the year. Of course, much has changed since then, but nonetheless, that is a win over an SEC team. And that's the first time Vanderbilt can say that since 2019. That was their first win over an SEC opponent in three years. So, guys, it's on the road. It's probably going to be really, really cold. What are our initial thoughts on the matchup this weekend? I think that they they certainly are riding high from a great victory over Kentucky, a team obviously we couldn't take care of at home, and they went on the road and did it. 
Well, one thing that does, um, you know, bring pause to Vanderbilt is the fact that they uh, were so efficient running the football last week against a very good defense. They had 264 yards on the ground, half of it, almost half of it from um, their quarterback who, you know, started the season off strong, got injured, has now come back and has, has played incredibly well since his injury. They are a team that's disciplined. They don't turn the football over a lot. Um, Penalty-wise, we break even with them. In fact, I think they're actually a little bit ranked higher than us in the penalty department. So, you know, Vanderbilt plays sound football. Clark Lee is building a strong program. He's rebranding the Vanderbilt brand and his likeness. You know, he's an alumnus of the school. Uh, you know, he's gonna, I think he's going to do a pretty good job there, and it's going to take some time for him to ultimately build um, something that is, is uh, respectable. But this is a type of game where they're fighting for bowl eligibility. They have just as much on the line as we do. If, you know, if a win here puts them in a, you know, a play-in game against Tennessee the last week of the season and against an arch rival. So we have to take them seriously. And I, I definitely think the running quarterback element is some is another angle that we're going to have to be ready for and play disciplined, contained football on the edges throughout this game. It's exciting to look at this matchup with Florida and Vanderbilt, of course, Vanderbilt coming off this win against Kentucky definitely surprised me. Now, Kentucky's not been playing good as of late, but you would still expect Kentucky to beat Vanderbilt considering the type of team that's, that Stoops has built at Kentucky. But I don't want to talk about Stoops. I want to talk about Clark Lee. And honestly, I think he's going to be the next James Franklin. He's building this Vanderbilt program the right way. Are they going to compete for championships? No. Are they going to compete for top 15, top 25 classes? No. But is Vanderbilt going to be a team that's going to give a lot of teams a tough time? Yeah, I think so. Is Vanderbilt a team that could consistently win more than six games a year? I think it's possible. And when you look at that, when you have that perspective, when you when you look at the job that Clark Lee has done, I think big picture, he's building this program the right way. And I think, and we'll get to it in, in the prediction, I think that this Vanderbilt team is going to give Florida some problems. And, you know, you don't have to go any further than the matchup of their run game versus our defensive line in our, in our uh, front seven. Now, have we improved over the last two games? Yeah. But when I when I look back at that Texas A&M game, and at least initially the success that A-Chain had against Florida, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that Vanderbilt's going to put up a lot of yardage against Florida. And I'm concerned that this is going to be a nail-biter of a game, a game that we come in expecting to win, but a game that is going to go down to the wire. Why do I think that? Because number one, I think Clark Lee is going to have his team ready. And number two, this very well could be a trap game for Florida. Now, I want to say this. Y'all know me as being a guy who really loves weather, who really loves to study weather. And our show is is aptly named the All Kinds of Weather Forecast. So when there is such a change in the weather that it's worthy of discussion, we have to talk about it. And it's going to be downright cold in Nashville, especially when you think in terms of what it's been in Florida. I mean, Gainesville has sat in the mid-80s the last few weeks. It's hardly gone down below 60 in Gainesville. It's going to be way colder in Vanderbilt. Game time, it's going to be in the 40s. I look forward to seeing what, what, what Florida's going to do in this cold weather because it's hard to it's hard to play in, in the cold if you're not prepared for it. I mean, we, we talked about this with with Alex Brown back um, about a year ago, and we're talking about how when it gets to a certain level of cold, the football turns into a rock and your fingers just turn it into into blocks and you can't really control them as well. So that could con- that could have an impact on the game for sure. I'm more interested to see what Florida does against a running quarterback because they face a much better one a week from now in Jordan Travis in FSU in Tallahassee. He's not exactly a Heisman Trophy candidate, but he can legitimately beat you with both his arm and his legs if you're not careful. 
He also makes some some head scratching mistakes from time to time, but nonetheless, he is a much better dual threat quarterback than Mike Wright. So Florida is going to get that little as we talked about earlier in the year with sort of levels in the video game. You'll you know how you start at an easier level, and then once you beat the level, they get progressively harder and harder and harder and so on. So Florida does get a little bit of that here in facing the less explosive of the two mobile quarterbacks. But nonetheless, a mobile quarterback that they're going to have to come prepared in order to stop. And you know, Mike Wright, we saw him make a big play on the ground. He ran for 50 yards or so for a touchdown against Kentucky, and he also converted a bomb on 4th and 11 to keep that game alive before they eventually won that game against Kentucky last week. So Florida's going to have to do all the fundamental things right. They're going to have to make sure that they do their assignments. No one's out of position. They're going to have to make sure that they set the edge if he wants to try to take off to the outside. They're going to have to make sure that that doesn't happen. They did tackle in the open field well enough, I thought, against South Carolina. But can they do it against a team that has the additional element of a running QB? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. We'll have to see. So I think Florida's defense has to be willing and ready to come to play and get their hands dirty and do some things that are physically uncomfortable, such as tackling in the cold, which, I mean, that's – just not a lot of fun, but they'll have to come ready to do it because Vanderbilt is going to be, as Chris mentioned, looking for that bowl eligibility. They're going to have a really tough task, even if they beat Florida the week after they play us with Tennessee lurking, but nonetheless, it's going to be a desperate team. They're going to probably have some tricks up their sleeve waiting for us. So I want to see how Florida responds and is ready to deal with all of that. You know, and I know Billy Napier talked about this. He said that he doesn't want the media talking about the weather to his players this week and, you know, all this. I mean, I think in a way, if Florida's defense does its job against the run, it could benefit Florida because cold weather games are better to ground and pound. Uh, so, I mean, I think it could end up actually being a little bit of an advantage in the Gators' favor if they can stop the run. If they don't stop the run, then all bets are off, and this could be a, a game we stress in the fourth quarter. But cold-weather games do benefit good running teams, and that is clearly our strength. Yeah, they do. And also, as we talked about earlier in the year, which we talked about how run sets up the pass and pass sets up the run, et cetera. We haven't seen a, a ton of that. I don't think there's been a game this year where Florida has been supremely dominant in both Maybe LSU kind of because Richardson had a big game on the ground, but I don't know that we've seen a game other than that where Florida has been dominant in both phases aside from you know maybe Utah and LSU. Maybe this is a game where Florida can do that. Vanderbilt's defense is not a joke. It's, it's a solid unit, at least relative to what they have had. But Florida's offensive line has been bullying teams better than Vanderbilt. So they should be able to create some holes and – give us some room to do some things uh talking about the florida side a little bit more though dustin i mean you're you're the quarterback so talk about what you think we're going to see out of anthony richardson what you expect to see from him through the air as a passer in particular and what kind of success do you expect him to have against the commodores now neil that's the conundrum which anthony richardson does florida see against vanderbilt now, on one side, Anthony's done pretty well offensively, especially throwing the ball on the road. We saw what he did the last time we played in the state of Tennessee against the University of Tennessee. Anthony played the arguably the best game of the year throwing the ball. Now, with this game being in the cold and with Anthony Richardson not having that type of experience, I'm a little concerned. I really hope that we see him show up and play. But honestly, if he's able to throw a couple touchdown passes and if he's able to not throw any interceptions or turn over the ball, I'll be especially thrilled. Now, the area where I think Anthony Richardson would be able to exceptionally uh, transform the, the, the outcome of this game is through running the ball. I think Anthony Richardson has to run the ball effectively. Can he run the ball effectively? Of course he can. I My hope is that he's a central part of the game plan because if he's running the ball well, then the passing game will come as well. And as we'll get to in our verdict, I, 
I think that he's going to be a difference maker in this game. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and like you talk about what Anthony Richardson has played better on the road. I mean, I, this is this is it. If that's the case, then he's got to show out. He's got and he's got. I talked about in the South Carolina pod. You, you know, Neil and I did a segment on whether or not he comes back for another year. I think everybody kind of agrees he should, but. If he wants to put something on tape for the NFL, you better start doing it these next two games. And uh, this is an a, opponent with an inferior talent, and you should be able to go out and dominate these guys. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know the, I don't have the class composites in front of me, but I would be willing to wager that Vanderbilt's probably one of the lowest ones we've played all year in the Power Five. So this is a chance for him to to show out and and to put on a, a show for Gator Nation. Uh, in the one in the final SEC game of the season, so big, you know, it's it's just a big game. It's a big game, and and I agree. I, I it's it sets up as a little bit of a trap game. I mean, you look historically, Florida has struggled in Nashville. I don't know what it is about Nashville. Uh, I know the fans just love to go out and party and have a good time, and then the game is almost like an afterthought. But the team seems to almost have that monster too a little bit. They just you go back to 1996 when we won 28-21, same thing. It was just it it was an afterthought. It was a look ahead, you know, spot. And in, in 2018, Dan Mullen's first year, I went to that game. We were, we overcame a 21-3 deficit, came back and, and won that game by three scores. But, you know, it was it was definitely a game where we stressed out for almost four quarters of football. And I'm wondering if that's going to be the case against Saturday. Uh, you know, I know it's, we're a two-touchdown favorite, but to be honest, that, that doesn't really mean a whole lot in the SEC anymore, especially when you play on the road and considering Ducky – was a uh, I think a twenty plus point favorite against Vanderbilt this past weekend, so it doesn't it just doesn't mean anything. Florida has to come in. Anthony Richardson has to play solid. We have to look at Vanderbilt, finish the SEC schedule strong at four and four, and and get to seven and four to set up a big matchup in Tallahassee. Where if you win this game, you're setting it up where you could play into a really good bowl game. You're setting it up where you potentially become a ranked team by the end of the season and finish eight and four. I mean, that would be a fantastic finish to the season. But none of that's possible if you go up to Nashville and lay an egg and lose only for the second time since 1988. So first thing, as for your talent composite talking point from a minute ago, Vanderbilt's talent composite is number 59 in the country and Florida is 12. So massive, massive different in terms of pure talent. Second of all, zooming in on the talent disparity here, Florida has a massive and especially massive talent disparity in the Florida wide receiver versus Vanderbilt defensive backs category. Vanderbilt's secondary, for lack of a better way to put this, is just awful. It, it's it's horrible. It is the second worst pass defense in the country, giving up 293.5 yards per game and Florida no they will not have Xavier Henderson but I mean he was only of a certain amount of value and I think having Justin Shorter back and not having Henderson is definitely a net plus for the Gators especially when you have the guys who've stepped up in recent weeks like Jaquavion Frazier's and Caleb Douglas also would like to see a little bit more out of Dante Xanders in the passing game from this tight end spot but Florida's passing offense is going to have the biggest mismatch in its favor it's going to have all year aside from Eastern Washington. I, th I think that this is a bigger mismatch on paper than Florida's passing offense and South Florida's passing defense. South, South Florida's pass defense isn't as bad as Vanderbilt's. Is. It's, I think, seventh or eighth worst in the country, and Vanderbilt's is the second worst in the country. And, I, of course, Vanderbilt has been playing better teams. We all know that. But Florida's offense... Florida's pass offense has also gotten a good bit better since that third game of the year. And here's where, if you, I know you, if you want to talk about cold, if you want to talk about where the passing game fits into a game where the temperature is really, really cold, this is, I think, the place to put it because we've seen Richardson as a passer this year do some great things, some, you know, okay things and some awful things. And this is the game where he's going to have to make a couple of throws here and there. Of course, as Chris mentioned, as, and as I mentioned earlier too, the Florida offensive line is going to have to do its job creating holes and Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne should be more than poised to capitalize on them because Vanderbilt's rush defense isn't a great one. It's not nearly as bad as his past defense, but it's not a great one. But 
Florida's going to have to do some things through the air. Richardson will have to make some throws through the air if, if, if for no other reason than to get Vanderbilt to back off, stop stacking the box with seven, eight, or even nine guys and force them to at least respect that. And he's going to have a field day if he does what he's supposed to do because of just how awful the secondary is. So guys, with all that said, before we get into our, our verdict, is there anything that particularly scares you about Vanderbilt? No, I, I mean, I think I, I, I mentioned what my, my concerns are really just their ability to run the ball effectively against our defense. We have struggled at times against those types of teams. So I'm, I'm curious to see how we play against them, but we've, we've shown a lot of improvement over the last, uh, you know, two games and we've played six consecutive quarters of shutout football. There's no reason why we can't continue this trend on the road this weekend. We went to a far more hostile environment against Texas A&M. Vanderbilt is almost 50-50 on the fan split there. So I, I think that it, this we just got to show up. We just got to show up, continue to do what we're doing. And I think that Billy Napier is starting to instill the culture and his vision. for the. It, it's starting to hit home for the guys. So that does take away the concern that I have for the game of, of a letdown spot where I think the guys are going to roll in focus because it's the coach is starting to get through to the players. Napier isn't going to be looking ahead. And he does not strike me as the guy that does that at all. So we'll see. But I mean, that, the, the big concern really is to me, the run game and, you know, do we look ahead to Florida state, but the lat the latter, I'm not as concerned with maybe even as the former. My biggest concern is this team is generally inconsistent. We've seen from the beginning of the season that this team has played exceptionally, and this team has also played downright awful. And against some of the weaker opponents on the schedule, Ford has not really played to their talent level. Case in point, the USF game. There's no reason why USF should have been anywhere near Florida in terms of the score. Yet here we were in that game with, with a – possibility of losing that game we almost did lose that game florida has to be they has to they have to show up they have to play the way that we've seen them play over the last two weeks and we we need to see anthony richardson play anthony richardson ball it's absolutely critical that we do that now can we turn over the ball and still win the game i think we can can we have some bad possessions defensively or offensively and still win the game. Yeah, but we need to put on film. We need to be more consistent in this game. And that's my concern. Yeah. I mean, those are legitimate concerns. I think, uh, I mean, the two that I've highlighted in terms of tackling the running quarterback and doing all the fundamental things right in the cold are mine more than just the sheer this is a trap game factor. I think those two things are going to be accentuated in that sort of trap atmosphere. But all right. Anyway, verdict time. Keys to the game. Then we're going to go give our percent chance. We think Florida has to win. And then the score prediction. So, Dustin, um, we'll start with you. We'll go in in the order from right to left on the order of the Zoom screen. Keep it easy for me, at least. So, Dustin, your key to the game is what? For my key to the game, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to steal one from probably what y'all are going to say, but I'm going to I'm going to say run the ball. Whichever team runs the ball, that's the team that is going to win the game. Now, again, Florida has a significant talent advantage, but if that's to show on Saturday, it has to show in running the ball. And my padlock stat is going to be 210 yards. I know it's been that the last two weeks. But I'm going to say it again, 210 yards. The first team to 210 yards rushing the ball will win the game. If Vanderbilt gets to 210 yards, we're in trouble. We got to run the ball effectively, and we have to stop the run. That's my key to the game. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, Dustin. I would say it's turnover margin. And, you know, you've had two teams that have not turned the ball over a lot. Something's got to give which team can force the turnovers, force the mistakes, be the less disciplined team. 
So Florida actually right now is number 14 in the country in turnover margin, which is something that I don't think a lot of us figured would happen this first year in the way things were going on the defensive side of the ball. So this is a new thing that's been the last two weeks, especially that have pushed us in that plus territory. So can we continue that trend? You know, I think we've been plus, we were plus three against Texas A&M. We were plus three against Georgia. We were plus two against um, South Carolina last weekend. So can we at least get a plus two margin again? That's going to be my stat to look out for. And then penalties. Penalties seem to be kind of ticking up a little bit the last couple of weeks. Can we get that back down to that five or less range against Vanderbilt? So those are my keys of the game is who just plays more sound disciplined football. Yeah, those are good keys. I think mine's going to be fairly similar um, to that one. Talking about penalties, you're talking about discipline. I'm going to say even more broadly, just fundamentals, period. Make your blocks, defensive linemen, hold your gaps, make tackles in the open field, catch the ball. We just talked about in the weather, it's going to be a little more difficult when it's cold, but you know, catch the ball. Richardson, make good reads. He did not always do this against South Carolina. First drive of the game, probably should have thrown a pick six. Carolina defenders just dropped the ball. Um, yeah, do all the little fundamental things right. And I think at that point, everything else will take care of itself. This is the kind of opponent that, no, you can't take them lightly. You have to go out and do your jobs. But I think if you do do those jobs well, you do the fundamental things right, I think a lot of other things will take care of themselves and we'll start to see a lot of good things just happening as a result of that. So um, also don't be minus three in the turnover category because that is a very easy way to let Vanderbilt back into the game. So percent chance we think Florida has to win. What have you got? So for me, I'm going to say Florida has an 85% chance to win the game. I want to say at the beginning of the year, I was like a 9 and 10 chance, pretty high up there. Maybe I was in the 80s. I can't quite remember. But I think 85, you know, that just that little element of we're playing on the road. Vanderbilt's coming off a big win. This is a letdown spot potentially for Florida, even though I don't think it's going to happen. Reload to my prediction. But I, I would say 85% chance. Based on what, what Vanderbilt was able to do against Kentucky and based on the weather that we have coming with it being 43 degrees at maximum. I think Florida's, I think there's a 20% chance that Vanderbilt can win the game. Um, so yeah, one in five Vanderbilt wins four and five Florida wins. Hmm, okay. I'll say 75. I think it is, it is definitely more likely that Florida wins this game than Florida does not win this game. 75% is, is a solid level of confidence. I think in Florida. I do wonder about Florida, maybe overlooking Vanderbilt. Obviously they've got the big showdown with their rival FSU the week after in Tallahassee. I also wonder if Florida maybe just plain doesn't respect Vanderbilt as its own entity, because there have been games this year where they didn't do that. Obviously against South Florida is the biggest example. Also think a little bit of that kind of crept up against Missouri. So yeah, those games were both, you know, a while ago now, but they did happen. That is part of this team's permanent record, so to speak. So you got to wonder if that happens again. Hopefully it doesn't, but just something to be cognizant of. And also wonder if Anthony Richardson is forced to throw the ball in cold weather. Do his receivers catch the ball? Is he accurate? It, I don't know. We're going to have to see. But, I mean, again, 75%, as Dustin just said, talking about four and every five Florida wins a game. So I'll take that down a little bit and say three out of every four Florida wins a game. Significantly more likely that Florida wins than they do not. Score predictions, guys. What have we got? Dustin, after you. I've been going back and forth on the score. Originally, earlier in the week, I was going to predict a Florida uh, blowout of Vanderbilt, but I can't do that anymore. There's something sneaky about this game. And for that reason, I'm going to pick Florida to win. I'm going to pick Florida to win by the score of 28 to 20. And I think it's going to be incredibly close the entire game. I think it's going to be a slobber knocker. I think Florida is going to play decent on defense. They're not going to play super well on offense. I think it's going to come down to an incredible run by ETN, Trevor ETN, to pull away 28 to 20 
with a 70-plus yard touchdown run, equaling what he did last week against South Carolina. Well, Dustin, you continue to – hopefully you hit your two-for-two two on the Anthony Richardson long touchdowns. You made that prediction against Texas A&M. It came to fruition. Hopefully it comes again Saturday. We're close on the score. I'm going to give the Gators an extra touchdown. I'm going to go Gators 35, Vanderbilt 20. I think that Florida controls the game, unfortunately doesn't pull away like they probably should in this game. And I do think Vanderbilt will score at home and Florida will get a a close cover. So 35-20, my score prediction. Huh. Is it 14 or 14 and a half right now? It's actually bumped down to 14. Started at 14 and a half. Okay. So I'll go push and I'll say 31-17 for Florida. I think Florida's going to score first and maybe build a, a 10-0 or 14-3 type of lead at halftime. And then from there, the score will just sort of go back and forth. The team will exchange scores and Florida will eventually win 31-17. I would not be surprised if Florida, though, goes an entire quarter or even an entire half without scoring a touchdown. I think it might take a little time for the offense to get revved up. But I do expect that Florida will, by the third quarter, turn it on. The offensive line will you know, get into its groove and start doing what it's supposed to do. And Johnson and Etienne will do what they're supposed to do. And I think a lot of things open themselves up from there. So I don't think Florida is in a great deal of danger. I also don't see this game being a complete blowout. But I don't think this will be a, a 2015 or 16 type of game. So... Y'all, that'll do it for this show. If you you enjoyed listening, please give us a five-star rating, a nice review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. Um, Dustin, enjoy covering that launch. It will have happened by the time people listen to this, but enjoy covering that launch. And uh, I think after that Carolina win, you've, you've earned the right to, or I shouldn't say you've earned the right, you've been given the right by the Florida Gators themselves to cap the show in the way that, only you do. So go ahead. Yeah, guys, certainly excited about tonight. And as I uh, as I drive on Kennedy Space Center property, I think it's uh, it's well deserved for me to chant what I love chanting: "Go Gators, beat Bandy." That's a chant. Or is that just... doors going down. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys heard yeah. it. Doors going down.